Hey, welcome to Ivania Talks Mental Health. I am your host, Ivania. I am a clinical therapist, a writer, I'm a survivor. I created this podcast so we can talk about difficult topics within mental health. I want to remove the stigma, normalize therapy, and empower you through shared stories. So let's talk about it and empower one another. This is a disclaimer. Some of this content can be triggering, so please be mindful and be aware. Welcome to Season 1, Trauma Monologues, where I interview women willing to share their healing journeys. We all have a story, so take a listen. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do for a living and what population you work with? Yes, I am a trauma therapist, so I work with survivors of trauma. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and so I work with survivors of child abuse and neglect. And what culture and or ethnicity do you identify with? I am uh, of Guatemalan descent, and I actually just did my ancestry DNA, so it was really neat to find more specifically, you know, I am from indigenous Mayan roots, Yes. but I'm also, as a lot of us, from Spain, and my favorite one was from, I'm like 20% from Congo. Oh, wow, that's so (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and we know because, you know, some of our yeah. family members have more African features, but it was nice to have that confirmation. So that's, yeah. <laughs> okay, so first of all, me and you just like connected on another level. Okay. <laughs> I'm also a Guatemalan descent. My parents are both Guatemalan. So I'm Chapina, 100%, you know? Awesome. That's so cool. I didn't know that. That's so awesome. Yeah, and I was born there too. And I immigrated here when I was four years old. Okay, okay. So, of course, you are a licensed clinical social worker. There's a reason why you got into this field. Can you tell us a little bit about your trauma story and what inspired you to work with the population that you currently work with? So my story and how I became a trauma therapist, I didn't really know what trauma was when I, I was in the field working with the homeless population with uh, duly diagnosed individuals. I love mental health and I always like steered away from trauma because it just seemed a little too scary unbeknownst to myself. I'm a trauma survivor. And so I experienced a lot of child abuse and neglect throughout my and what we call in our field, complex trauma. So I experienced a ton of trauma, even from the ages of zero to five. And, you know, without sounding too extreme, I pretty much experienced trauma throughout my whole life up until I was about, I would say 18, 19 is when it pretty much stopped because I had control over my life and I decided to go to college and all that stopped. But pretty much I've experienced physical, emotional, sexual. I grew up in a home where there's a lot of domestic violence. And I call it father. We were, you know, an immigrant family. So there's that trauma too. So layer upon layer of trauma. You know, I've thought about this at times. I've done so much work on myself so far. And I know that there's, you know, more to do. I it almost feels like it's a different person. And I recognize that because I've, I've stepped into my new self now, so to speak. I'm, I'm no longer being victimized by the adults that are around me. And so now I get to make the choices for myself and it feels so freeing. It feels 
honestly, this is true happiness to yeah. feel empowered. Beautiful. That's beautiful. I think that the complex trauma that you describe is something that maybe a lot of people don't know about how difficult it is to come from a different country, come to a foreign culture, foreign language, and all the fears that you face, especially when you're undocumented. Can you talk a little bit about that in your experience? Absolutely. I arrived to this country with my grandmother, and I wasn't really close to her. And so I wish that I could say, well, my mom was there or, you know, somebody more comforting, but it wasn't the case. And so that in the, the actual journey, and to this day, I remember I was about four years old and I remember the night that I left Guatemala. Mm. I had other traumas in my life, including I've had a lot of medical issues since I was a young child. And I remember something came up with my medical issues that particular night. And then I was taken away. So it was like I was going through this trauma of my medical stuff, which really was, you know, I had parasites as a child. And so I remember dealing, literally throwing up and doing all that. And then immediately, like 30 minutes later, they took me out of the home that I was comfortable with. And then I had to leave and do the journey from Guatemala to Los Angeles. And, you know, I had been separated from my mom, which is another trauma. (laughs) That's why I said trauma upon trauma. So I've been separated from my mom for about, she left when I was about two and a half. And I didn't see her until I was like four, four and a half. And that was really traumatic because, you know, that's, that was my main caregiver. And although they did the best they could in Guatemala to take care of me and, you know, one of the nannies and family but it's yeah. not the same and so then it was attachment that yeah. trauma of not being with your main caregiver and so yeah that's a little bit about my experience and then of course you know I have memories of almost being caught by immigration and I was four and I still remember this and then having to assimilate and having not very gracious teachers you know shaming for my language that you know nobody taught me English at home so that was it so it was sink or swim for me and so in that sense that was pretty traumatic and having you know I was just used to eating eggs and beans in Guatemala and then now it's like McDonald's and all these other things that I you know I I didn't like I you know I I hear that I would complain about the food and I would just Mm -hmm. say just give you my eggs and beans (laughs) so there was so much to getting used to when you as a child who's already carrying a lot of complex trauma, even at four, I had already experienced so much. So yeah, and in some ways, though, although school was traumatic with children not accepting and being racist, that, you know, school was my, personally, like a lot of people who are traumatized at home, school is our our safe haven. Mm -hmm. That is so interesting you say that, because I never thought about that. That never even crossed my mind that even for me, school was my safe haven. It kind of tells us that we got this far because we value education. Like we ended up having school be our safe haven and then we ended up valuing education so much. And so that makes sense. That makes sense. I never made that connection. That's such a great point. Yeah. So I hear, I mean, a lot of attachment issues uh, coming to new world, basically. I didn't hear you mention dad. Was he not in the picture? 
Yeah, so that's another trauma. <laughs> so dad's always had, you know, when we talk about attachment, he's had very resistant or non-existent part in my life. He's just kind of been there in the background and him having his own mental health issues and being an alcoholic, so much dysfunction that unfortunately he he brought into our family. And so he never really played like that much of a big role in my life. If anything, I honestly think I became a therapist to help him, which nowadays I know that that's not really possible, but you know, he was one of my main motivators. I wanted to figure out why is it that he behaved the way he did. You know, some of the odd behaviors, some of the unhealthy habits and, I just always wanted to figure him out. I wanted to know, like, what is the deal with him and and everyone, all the other adults and caregivers around me. Wow, yeah. That definitely, talk about complex trauma. I mean, I think that it could, I'm glad that you found your outlet, right? As far as doing the work you mentioned, you, did, you have done a lot of work. Healing is ongoing. And for you to end up in a field where you get to help others heal from those complex traumas is a beautiful thing. It's a, I mean, it's just one of those things that doesn't happen often. You know, it just doesn't happen often. How do you think your story, how did this affect and how did it shape you to become the person who you are? That's the thing we talk about with complex trauma is it's our formative years. And so if my foundation was based on dysregulation, I didn't know how to, what to do with my feelings. I did a lot, a lot of dissociation to cope with that. And, you know, I, a, a big feeling that a lot of the people that I work with and that I get them on that level is the loneliness of going through trauma as a child mm -hmm. because you don't know how to express it, especially during the foundational years. And you're just so young and you don't know what's happening and things are just happening to you. And it absolutely shaped so much of my life. I don't think I would be, not just as a therapist, but just as a human being, I'm already an empath. And so, you know, I tell my people I work with, like, can you imagine an empath going through all this trauma? Like, that's so hard. And so I already have that caring nature, and I'm really observant. And I remember going through, I always laugh because it's like, I shake my head, like, I can't believe that I was doing that. But I remember as a little child, shaking my head in the moment, like, wow, y'all are going to act like <laughs> Like I was like analyzing and observing everyone around me like that's not healthy <laughs> it's not appropriate so I think also you know although we go through trauma I think a lot of us have that very wise spirit about us and we're definitely warriors and we know in some ways that what we want like I already knew when I was little what I wanted I wanted this I wanted what I have now I wanted stability I wanted peace I wanted to feel safe. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to love myself. I wanted to just be free. And so I think that because I have that resilient nature as a survivor, I, you know, even now looking back, although my trauma was terrible and I've done the work, it's so ironic, but I think, could I understand my clients on a deeper level like that? I don't know if I could do the work I'm doing now. Even now with my own children, you know, they get upset. And I think, yeah, this must be, you know, I've gone through all the stages and I've been oddly very analytical as a child. And so now I can look back and even with my own children, 
even with adults, even though it's really hard for me sometimes to understand other people when they just are so dysfunctional and are hurting yeah. me or they're hurting others. It's really hard to empathize with people like that. But I now know part of the why. And so that makes it all somehow easier in some ways. <laughs> like maybe closure? Like a, a type of closure that you feel? Like understanding the behavior, why it's happening? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I feel like I can be very understanding. And I, I don't want to say I owe it to my trauma because I, I don't want to say that. But hmm. had it not been for my trauma, I don't know if I would be the person I am today, oddly. So, you know, not that we want trauma, but I feel that it has very much affected my personality and who I am I think what you just said was so powerful you you said I don't want to say because of my trauma because your trauma does not define you but it's in spite of your trauma that you are where you are and that's actually something that I learned doing my own work in therapy because for the longest time I identified with my trauma and instead of using language where it was in spite of and I think it's so powerful because even though as a therapist, we logically understand, well, trauma doesn't define you. But when you start doing your own work and you realize, oh, snap, I've been identifying or whatever it is, whatever challenges that your trauma has kind of imposed on you. It's so true. So I really like that you carefully worded that because mm-hmm. we, we're not supposed to. We cannot. We shouldn't define our, be defined by our traumas. And I think it's so powerful and imagine people that don't do this work that are not therapists or people that are struggling to even acknowledge that they need therapy and how much they identify with their trauma. And I'm sure that throughout your life, you've met people that also experience similar trauma as I'm hearing you, me, I'm hearing your story and there's so many similarities. Like I'm blown away. I'm like, what? (laughs) You know, like just, it's so interesting to me. And and I don't know if when we're from the same, <laughs> you know, same culturally, right? And then also, correct me if I'm wrong, if your parents were there during the Civil War, there's stuff there, there's trauma there. If there's addiction, most likely there was addiction with the grandparents, right? So it's a <clears throat> generational trauma that gets passed down. Absolutely. And it really has power. It has power to repeat itself. But when you break it, that's even much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Do you think like within your family unit, do you see other relatives that kind of went through the same thing you went through? Yes, unfortunately. You know, there are definitely some relationships in my family that are strained because unfortunately, you know, because of the trauma, unfortunately, some individuals develop personality disorder traits and that's very difficult to deal with and it's difficult for me because I do have to set the boundaries but I also know that it's because of the trauma so it's really hard to see you know I'm thinking of even some of my cousins I love them it's hard to see people that you love not seek out help and heal yeah yeah that's probably one of the hardest things is my in my job because I know it from a psychological point of view 
and obviously we can't, you know, at least in, in our field, we can't treat our family members, but I think that's one of the hardest jobs in my life to accept that you see people suffering, you see people having so much dysfunction in their relationships because of the trauma, you see them having such a low self-esteem, yeah. hurting themselves and, you know, via toxic relationships or via you know, just choices they make. And then I actually do some reflection sometimes and I think, oh, like, please heal yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. just please, because you could be so much happier and you could really understand that it wasn't your fault. Because that's the thing about, and you know, with intergenerational trauma just gets passed on. Yeah. We repeat the patterns. And unless you're willing to understand them and look at yourself in the mirror and look at the trauma in the mirror that's been passed down from generation to generation, you can't stop it. You can't stop what you don't see. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And I could completely relate to almost like that pain of seeing your family members go through the hurt the dealing with the consequences of these traumas that keep getting passed down is very painful and very heavy at times but you have to have boundaries you have to you just unfortunately you can't be the healer or the therapist in the family you just can't you just can't mm -hmm. can you tell me about how you did the work like what worked for you how did therapy happened for you at what age did you start so I was going to grad school and they always encouraged us to go to therapy thank goodness and at the, around the same time I was a newlywed mm. and so stuff was coming up for me in my marriage and it wasn't anything super quote serious right like there wasn't infidelity the big ones we think of it was more of the communication mm -hmm. and understanding could be a little better I'm very fortunate. My partner's really kind, really caring, but we both could be a little stubborn. <laughs> and so once I realized, you know, now I have control over my life, you know, before the trauma was being done to me. Right. Mm. And in some ways we are powerless, especially as children. But then I realized like, okay, it's time for you to accept accountability, accept responsibility over your life. And if you're not liking something about your relationship, then preach and do the work that you are going to school for that you believe will work. Like, and so I decided to go back. And so at first I went back with the notion of, I want to work on individual therapy because I'm not getting along all that well with my spouse because we're newlyweds. And then it turned into, Oh, I have all this trauma too, mm -hmm. by the way, which, as I said, I've always run away <laughs> in denial, minimizing my trauma and so then I met an amazing therapist and, it, and, you know, I was thinking of looking back, what was it about her that really helped me heal? And it was her ability to see my pain mm. because growing up, my pain was invalidated mm. because of the generational trauma. People, when you go through abuse, sometimes it just gets pushed under the rug. It's like, oh, we've been there, done that, like no big deal. And so that was kind of my case, like physical abuse was normal. Verbal abuse was normal. Mm. Well, I'm not doing this to you. So this must be okay. And so it was the first time that somebody validated my experiences 
and did it in such a way that was so nurturing. Mm -hmm. And in therapy, the relationships are professional, but it is a relationship. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so the way that my therapist, even her tone of voice with me, because, you know, as as survivors of trauma, we can be very vigilant and very aware of people's tone of voice, body language. And so even her tone of voice was so nurturing, so caring, which, you know, I, I went through neglect. And so for somebody to see my pain, for somebody to understand it, even, you know, not exactly understand it, but she understood this is why I'm feeling such a way. And for me, that was the most healing thing. And then I actually did almost four years with her. She was working for a specific well-known hospital in Southern California. And then she, she had to, and unfortunately with them, you know, with this issue with mental health is you only have so many sessions. And so then I started seeing her at her private practice and I went there for a few years. And sometimes my partner would join us to understand because he didn't know how to deal with a wife who had been severely traumatized. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, he would join and we would do that, which is very healing and very important. It was great for, for our marriage. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm glad that you found somebody that made you feel validated. I think that unfortunately, some people have had a bad experience with therapists, right? And it's so important to encourage people to shop around, shop around. If you don't mind me asking, in your practice and in with your own therapy that you did, what interventions worked for your complex trauma? So I was thinking about that as, as you were saying those last words, because I thought, well, she, in terms of finding and shopping around a good therapist is you want a trauma-informed therapist. Mm. Because after I finished with that therapist, since I had so much trauma, I did actually go through four more therapists mm-hmm. because I was shopping around and I just couldn't find the one that worked for me. But what, you know, I lucked out that that was my first therapist, but she had a very trauma-informed attachment background and so that's what I try to do in my practice. I realize if you are a survivor of child abuse and neglect, you didn't receive these things, whatever it was, validation, somebody to just hear you out and not dismiss you. And so for me, definitely, you know, trauma-informed attachment. And then, you know, obviously the other ways to process the trauma, but those have to be key. Attunement, especially as a professional, is key. And that was something that, thankfully, in grad school, they really drilled it on our heads and attunement, being attuned to what the client is bringing up in session. Because if you're attuned to them, they're going to understand, oh, yeah, like this person, this therapist is invested in me. They're not just writing or scribbling notes in their pad. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think that that's so important. You mentioned the trauma-informed. Not all therapists are qualified to deal with trauma. And that's okay. There's so many things that we could do in our field. You don't have to be, because some people are not going to be comfortable hearing these stories. These stories are heavy. And as a therapist, you start feeling it too. And that's why self-care and processing your own stuff and going to your own therapy, it's so important because trauma work is difficult. It's so difficult. I know that for certain therapists they like to use like emdr they get certified for emdr they somatic processing and 
uh, trauma-informed CBT. There's so many things out there and it's important for people that are looking for therapists to maybe get a little bit of education. Like, well, what's out there? Or ask the questions. Well, what's your approach, you know, to a therapist? But let me ask you this. And I'm, and I'm just curious, like, for you, was it important for somebody to find a therapist that could understand you culturally? I have to be honest, when I sought therapy, and this is where it makes it really tricky for people and really challenging, is, you know, the first time I sought therapy, I didn't have a choice who I got. I mean, I was assigned this specific provider, and thankfully, it was great. And then now that I, you know, know better, too, because I don't even think people realize that you can pick a therapist, and it would be nice Right, because for us it's a luxury. Some uh, some of yeah, us people it's of a color, privilege. yeah, yeah, to even pick a therapist of color, yeah. and then the issue becomes: is there a therapist of color that has space that is accepted by my insurance, or yeah. even that private pay? Are they available? Do they have openings? Because while I think it's wonderful to see now, you know, Latinx clinicians of color there aren't that many of us still Mm -hmm. and so it depends on where you live or whatnot it might be difficult but I most definitely think that people need to become aware of that 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 is so important you know I've probably seen in my lifetime in the past 13 years or so I've probably seen about six to seven therapists Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and one of them was a person of color Mm. Yeah. So there is a lot of work to be done in the field mm-hmm. to support, to encourage and empower individuals of color to go in the field because we need them. Yeah. And not only that, right? Like I think that for people that already struggle with accepting that maybe therapy is needed in their lives, I think that having minorities more people of color in this field is going to help normalize how important it is to take care of your mental health because trauma is going to manifest one way or the other. I think that mental health, physical ailments, trauma, it's at its core a lot of times and it's passed on over and over and there's these cycles that we don't just kill off and it's so important to do the work in your journey how did god or your spirituality play a role in your healing oh for me personally god was everything i have clients who are atheists who are agnostic i have clients who are lds christian catholic all of it i'm really lucky i get to work with all these people (laughs) different backgrounds and i always tell them the same thing it doesn't matter what you believe in, who you believe in, what you choose to believe in, but spirituality is key. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's Mother Nature, the universe, God. For me, it was God. But I have to admit, at some points, I didn't believe in God. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to believe in God when you have mountains of trauma on you. Yeah. yeah. Where, where are you, right? We hear that yeah. question a lot, like, why would God let this happen to people? But, you know, the conclusion that I arrived in, I was... You know, I had experiences that I couldn't deny that he was there and I could choose not to believe in him. And that was my choice. And, or I could 
believe in a higher power and something bigger than myself. And for me, that helped to, you know, I would cry myself to sleep a lot. And every night I would pray and, and that's kind of how it would end my, my days, some of the bad days. And, and for me, I felt like he was always there, even though I, I didn't really go to church growing up. It wasn't until later that I, that I became more involved. But for me, that, you know, he was pivotal. Yeah. Do you think that you would have done anything like if like looking back where you're at now, is there anything that you would have done differently when it comes to finally facing your trauma? That's a that's a good question. I you know I thought about, you know, because the kind of trauma that I experienced technically could have been stopped if I would have said something. Mm. But, the, you know, for, we all have different reasons of why we disclose or not. But at least for me, it became a safety issue. And so looking back, I honestly think I did the best I could. And mm-hmm. that's, that's something I treat. I actually help all my clients to understand. Yeah. Especially childhood trauma, you're at the mercy of the adults. Yeah. So how much can you do besides disclose? And I personally disclosed several times. And it was never you know, and oh in certain God. situations, yeah. yeah, in certain situations, even to like teachers, like nothing was really done about a particular situation and specifically you know, domestic violence and, and it never stopped. And so, you know, as children, we do the best we can. And obviously as adults, even as adults, that's why mental health is so important. And just talking to somebody, mm-hmm. because as adults, we need a different perspective. If we are going through trauma, even unhealthy relationships, whatever it is, or we're suicidal, or whatever it is, we need to just talk to somebody about it because we don't always know, all, we don't have all the answers. And especially a professional, you know, we're trained to, there's a protocol, there's a way to do things, especially to keep somebody safe or to even bring awareness, right? Like in, in my practice, I always tell my, and I mean it, I welcome resistance. If you come to see me and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't really want to be here. I say, that's okay. Yeah. Like there is a part of you that does want to be here because you wouldn't be here if you didn't. So being able to just remember that, just talk to somebody. And as we're having this conversation, I hope people realize, oh, maybe my therapist knows me a little bit more than I thought. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all have a story. We all have a And story. a lot of, like you said, our stories are unfortunately because isn't it cool that we have you know we share the same trauma but in some ways it's comforting that a lot of them are intertwined and they're very similar mm-hmm. so sometimes like oh that person's not going to get it like why do I even go to a therapist like you know and like you said shop around yeah. you deserve to give yourself the gift of healing yeah and if therapy isn't it okay find whoever whatever other means but give that gift to yourself you deserve it yeah, I think that you said something very important that you had kind of verbalized a little bit growing up about the DV that existed in your home. And it's a very complicated, I mean, well, I want to say complicated, I want to use that word. It's a very different topic as far as when it comes to mandating reporting, right? Because we know that if a DV exists in the home, but there's no harm to the child, you're not mandated to report it. And I'm sure mm-hmm. the laws have changed. I'm sure that just kind of being in the field now, like working now in this profession, we're advised we kind of have to report everything at this point, yeah. you know? And that is such a 
important thing, but also when you're working with adolescents or when you're working with kids, it's also very scary because mm-hmm. they share something that's you have to report, right? And I guess mm-hmm. it's such a, it could hinder the therapeutic relationship. It could totally hinder it. You become the enemy. Like I told you this, I didn't want you to say anything. And it's so hard and it's such a difficult thing to, to manage. And I'm sure that teachers are also mandated reporters. Mm-hmm. And let's say, for example, if you didn't report the harm was done to you, it takes a very wise, maybe a very fearless individual to start putting pieces together to realize that you were also being hurt in that situation. And not a lot of... Re-traumatizing. <laughs> Well, in my case, the teacher actually did report it. Oh, okay. okay. I was failed by the actual, you know, child protective service system mm. because they did an assessment and I was never interviewed. And I remember even then, like I said, this is like one of my themes in my childhood thinking, I don't think that's right. They should have interviewed me because <laughs> wow. I would have told them everything. Yeah. But they interviewed one of my caregivers, one of my parents. And of course, it was going to be denial. And I remember feeling so betrayed by the system because I felt like in that moment, you know, the teacher that I disposed to, I was her teacher's aide and she was so nice and she wanted to keep me safe. And I understood that. And because I I kept telling her like, Oh, all these things. And you know, when, when children disclose these things, it's sad and tragic that it's just so normal to like, Oh yeah, this happened. As if you're, it's, it's like, Oh yeah. You know, I put my shoes on that kind of thing right and so but the teacher was like oh no like that's not good and I don't remember if she told me she was gonna disclose it but she pretty much said I I want to keep you safe and she did and there was a report but it it didn't go anywhere after that and you know we hear documentaries of Mm -hmm. how the system fails children and I was part of unfortunately part of that and I did feel betrayed I felt betrayed again by the adults and the system that was supposed to be there in place to protect me, but they didn't. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, ironically, I went into the social work field, but I wanted to be the difference. I wanted to see people's pain. I wasn't about to deny what they were disclosing. I was going to take it seriously. And even as a therapist, you know, I work with victims of crime. And unfortunately, they, some of them tend to be re-traumatized and, and even with children and teenagers to this day from the get-go, I make sure, I mean, I take a very good amount of the session letting them know, if you tell me somebody is hurting you, I will absolutely report it. What does that look like? And, you know, I obviously speak it to their language, so to speak, but I make sure that they understand. And obviously some cases they won't fully understand, but yeah. Because I, I did go through that. Yeah. I think you briefly touched on this, but what would you like to see a therapist do in practice when it comes to working with trauma? You know, one of the most important things is, as I mentioned, attunement, mm-hmm. holding space, really being present, you know, and that's why it's really hard to do the work as trauma therapists because you have to be present. People will say things. People will do things. Hmm. even with their body language or whatever behavior or symptoms are coming up. Like we really have to be paying attention, which makes the work really hard. You know, we can constantly have to be getting training on 
you know, whatever new research is out there. You know, I can't speak for everyone else, but personally, I, and I tell my clients, I love my job. Mm-hmm. I love, I never thought I'd be that person who says, I love my job. I love <laughs> waking up in the but that's me. I love my job. I love the transformation in people. You know, people come to me like first couple sessions are looking at me like, they feel damaged. They feel broken. They feel like there's no way from there is no escape from here. And I hold space for them and I validate. I have empathy for them and I just let them be. Even if, like I say, they're coming up with resistance, that's okay. It's this unconditional regard for a person. Mm, that is nice. so important, right? I don't know how that quote goes, but I think it's by Carl Jung. It says, know all the theories, do all the blah, blah, blah. But in the end, just be there for a person. And, you know, I'm trained in EMDR, so I do have some tools in my little therapist bag, but, and they're very helpful, but you have to have the foundation first. Yeah, I agree. And it, and, and it takes, I think that if you're passionate about working with trauma therapists or what mental health professional has to do the work there's no way that you could do this type of work I don't it doesn't even matter if you're not doing trauma work if you're in this field you've got to do resolve your own stuff and it's ongoing it's definitely absolutely I think your story is beautiful I think that it's very telling of your resilience your grit your warrior and I mean, they're inspiring stories. It's just inspiring. And you being where you're at right now, you're successful. You have your private practice. You had mentioned that you practice in different states. And I think that's wonderful. What is your advice to other women that have been through your situation? I didn't think I was going to get so emotional. But when you said that, I thought about my family, my friends, my clients the woman that I get to work with, and I mainly work with women, if I could just give advice to you is you're not broken. Mm. You have so much potential. You might not see it now, but it's always been there. We got to dust ourselves up, become that warrior that we have always been or else we wouldn't have survived everything we did. And just have that faith and that hope And not just from a religious perspective, but just faith in yourself, faith that things are going to get better and seek help because we're not meant to do this on our own. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. That's beautiful. (laughs) That's beautiful. Thank you. Anything else that you would like to share with the audience that will be hearing this? I don't know if you have a website, where to find you in social media. If you would like to share that, you could share it right now. Yeah. So you can find me at aresilientjourney.com or Instagram. So it's R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T journey. So resilient journey counseling. Thank you so much, Sonia, for doing this interview. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and my website, Ivania Talks Mental Health. And if you like this podcast, don't forget to share it. And you could also give me a review. I hope these stories inspire you. Until next time.